Let's turn tonight out of to 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. We continue our look at 2 Corinthians and our study of this wonderful book, wonderful letter to the church at Corinth. Uh, we spent last week looking at the second half of chapter 7, and Paul is dealing with the matter of re- repentance and the fact that he had written a letter, the church there had listened, they could have responded by turning a deaf ear, but they responded by way of repentance, and so reconciliation was the result of that, and now because of that reconciliation, now Paul moves on to some deal with some things that are needful in the growth of the Christian. And so tonight we'll look at chapter 8 verses 1 through 4 tonight. And maybe just a bit of an introduction in chapters 8 and 9. Which somewhat run together with the, uh, with the context of what's being said. Moreover brethren we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How then a great trial of affliction and abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their, to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willingly of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we should receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Tonight I've entitled our time together Inflation Proof Finances. Inflation Proof Finances. And we find in the Bible how God gives us there uh, how to deal with finances and this builds into uh, the work of the church but we have all seen literally if you were to go to a uh, books a million store I don't know if they even have those anymore but pull up Amazon and do something like that on finances you'd find tomes of information written with regards to finances how to care for your finances how to do this and how to do that it just seems like all the time those things are out there so quite a bit written with regards to finances and in, in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians we have I believe some of the most important uh, passages in all the New Testament with regard to finances and particularly the financing of the Great Commission. The financing of the Great Commission. Now, I just want to understand when we think about the Great Commission, God has given us the message. He's given us the message. What is that? It's the gospel. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. May we never get away from the message. If we ever stop preaching the message, we just need to stop what we're doing, bar the doors, and just move on. And may we never stop preaching the message, the gospel. I hope we never get tired of hearing it. And I believe that, you know, I remember used to, in Bible uh, college and the, 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 the homiletics and hermeneutics professors would say, well, if you don't know what to say, just run to the cross. And you can never go wrong by preaching the gospel. And so it's such an important thing because yet we live in a time when people still, not, still are not clear about what the gospel is. So God's given us the message. That's the gospel. God's given us the mandate. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. He's given us what we're to say. Now he's given us the mandate to go. He's also given us the manpower. The manpower. Now, 
Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, who will send forth laborers to the harvest. Where is, pray tell, the manpower for world evangelism? Where's it at? Where's it at? Excuse me? Setting in these pews. Well, that's a pretty good answer there. That is the manpower. You are the manpower. I am the manpower to carry forth the message and the mandate. It's found right here. It's found in churches just like this. The manpower is found in local churches. That's why it's exciting. I'm excited. I'm thrilled to see the Mariners head off to the mission field. It just excites my heart. I'm excited and I'm thrilled to, to know that, that some of our young people are serving in foreign countries and serving the Lord and preparing to do that. And I'm excited. It, it thrills my heart to, to think of the prospects that are behind us tonight with young people and teenagers and the prospect of them serving the Lord. And, and listen, let me just simply say, I want to be careful tonight that... You don't, God calls people to go cross-culturally. Praise the Lord for that. But you know, God also calls people just to stay here and to serve in the local church and be a part and to be faithful. I don't want you to ever think because you're not there, but you're here. You're not doing something God's called you to do. Now, if God's called you to go there, go. Don't stay here. But God hadn't called everybody. He needs you here. So I encourage you to be faithful to the place that God has you. You're part of the manpower. You're part of the, I I, I guess I should be culturally correct, the women power, the manpower. Yeah, I don't know how to think. But all of us, the men and the women. You know, uh, some of these young ladies that come in as single missionaries to go out. And I tell you what, if, I was a, if I'm a missionary on the foreign field and I, I'm, I'm laboring hard and, and I've got 20 or 30 little ones I've reached for the glory of God and they're coming to my church, to have a young single lady to come alongside and help in that ministry, I'd say praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord. It's not a waste. I think it's an investment. It's an investment in the ministry that's already been provided there. So that's an encouragement to me. In Acts 13, we think about the manpower. In Acts 13, we find the local church at Antioch. They were fasting and praying. And they laying on the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And they sent out that first missionaries, that first missionary journey. The manpower for world missions is right here. It's right here. And the prospects of this upcoming missions conference, it thrills me. Because not only are we looking to have our missionaries come in, and they're on the way, they're going, but I'm praying that God would burden our hearts, that we'd have some surrender and say, you know what, I'll go too. I'll go too. What a thrill, what a joy, what a, what a, a, a wonderful mission conference that would be if our own people... Say, here am I, Lord, send me. God has given us all of these as part of the commission. He has given us these things. But there's one more part of the entire equation with regards to uh, the message, the mandate, and the manpower. And that's the means. The means to fulfill it. How do we do this? The means to fulfill what God has called us to do. The message, the mandate, and the manpower. But then there's the means The means has to do with the money. The money. The means has to do with the resources. It takes resources and finances to carry the gospel around the world. It takes those resources. It takes that that money to carry the gospel around the world. But the beauty even of that, the beauty of all of this is that where God guides, he provides. 
And God's not only given us the message, the mandate, and the manpower, but God has also given the means. He's given the means as well. God is not a beggar when it comes to financing his mandate. He's not a beggar. He has provided and ensures that his work goes forth. Now, the New Testament church does not have to beg the outside world to finance God's work. Doesn't have to beg the outside world to finance God's work. The New Testament church does not need, let me just say, we don't need to put on yard sales. We don't need to put on spaghetti dinners. We don't need to do raffles. We don't even have to have gospel singings in order to entice people to give money so that the work of God can go forth. We don't need to do any of that. God's not left the financing of his work to our gimmicks, to our begging, to our pleas, to the world. No, God says, I'll be the one that will provide. I'll be the one that provide. And I'll provide the means to get the work done. I'll provide the finances. Contrary to what many people think, God is not broke. God's not broke at all. He's, he's a better financial planner than all the financial portfolio planners that you could, you could put into a, a building in any part of the world. He's better than them all. God created everything. God owns everything. Now I want you to understand tonight that everything that we think we have, God owned it first. God owned it first. And God literally has just let us borrow what is His so that we can live. So think about that. God has let you borrow and has let me borrow everything that we call ours. It began with God. It was his first. He just let us borrow it so that we can live this life here on earth. Psalm 15 and 10. For every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. God's not poor. But he's gracious. Oh, he's gracious to us all. We can think... Sometimes if we're not careful, I, I believe we can think we're doing a God by some favor because we're giving to some aspect of his work. Faith promise giving, giving to, to the church and helping the work of the ministry to go forth. Maybe we're doing God some kind of favor. Like somehow we're helping God out. When the fact of the matter is that God is the one that's helped us out. It all started with him. Job 1 and 21. Naked I came out of my mother's womb. And naked I shall return. Thither the Lord gave. And the Lord hath taken away. We didn't come here with anything. We're not going to leave here with anything. But God gives us what we have. And he's gracious along the way. From the breath that we breathe. The clothes that are upon our back, the food that we eat, the roof that's over our head, the money that's in our wallet, it all comes from God, and it's all a gift from God, and God's good to us all. James 1 and 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variableness, no shadow of turning. God gives all things, and he gives good God is gracious. Every good gift given to us includes, it includes the provision of finances. God gives that to us. The Bible is full 
of wisdom and counsel with regards to money. Uh, One of the most talked about subjects in all the Bible is dealing with money. We could spend time and time again thinking upon these things. Look with me. Hold your place and go with Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew chapter number 6 verses 19 through 21. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Look down to verse 24. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Now the key, the key to understanding, I think, these passages is that money is something that can be treasured, but it's never to be treasured above God. It's never to be treasured above God. You cannot serve both two masters. You can't serve God and mammon. The proper order is, in, is found in a priority. Verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. Here's the priority. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. The proper order and the priority is found in verse number 33. Now, we understand that money itself is neither good nor is it bad. Money's not good nor is it bad. But it is in the use of money that we find the good and the bad. It's in the use of it. It's how it's used. And so what we do with our money reflects, I believe, what we do with our money reflects our lives. So the money is not a moral or immoral thing, but it's what we do with it. And how we spend the money that God puts into our hands, it reflects our lives. So how we spend our money is a, either a good reflection upon the, our lives or it's a a negative, a bad reflection. It tells us where our heart is. And how we supply for the work of the Lord tells us where our heart is. First uh, Timothy. Look with me at First Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 10. You all know this verse. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, it's not the money that's the root of all evil, but it's the love of it that's the root of all evil. That is the thing. He says when it's coveted, when it's made an idol out of, and when this thing happens, there's, there's an Error that takes place. We begin to err from the scriptures. We're led astray from the faith. And the Bible says here in this verse, we, they've pierced themselves through. It's like taking something and pierced themselves through. Self-inflicted wounds. Instead of peace, in other words, their sorrow. 
Some of the richest people in all the world are some of the most miserable people in all the world. We think, well, if we can just get uh, a little bit more, if we can, the grass always seems greener on the other side until you get on the other side. And then when you get on the other side, you're just looking at the next fence row. Well, if I can just get over that one, until you get over that one. It doesn't bring peace. It doesn't bring contentment. They're piercing two of themselves. Instead of that peace, there's sorrow. Look at verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So the things that are to be enjoyed in life and the things that can really be enjoyed in life are not the things that money can buy, but are the things that God gives us. They are the blessings and the, the joy that God gives and puts into our lives. And the Bible does not forbid the possession of money. And if we're not careful, well, well we say, well, God somehow, that's a bad thing if you, if you have some finances. God didn't per, per, uh, forbid any of this, but the Bible does forbid money possessing us. Matthew 16 and 26 for what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So the priority there, God first. And if God blesses with the finances, then praise the Lord for that. That's something that God has chosen. But it's not the finances. And so oftentimes I'm fearful that the finances take place of the God that really is the supply of them. Again, the Bible does not condemn money. It does not condemn wealth. It does not condemn riches. But we have to understand, again, the priority. Where they all come from is from God. We find wealthy people all throughout the Bible. Joe, a wealthy man, very wealthy man. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all wealthy men that we find in the Bible. Boaz, how about Solomon? Very, very wealthy. God doesn't condemn them because of this. As a matter of fact, God gave that to them. So the money is not the wrong. It's the loving of it that brings about the wrong within our own hearts. The overwhelming pursuit of money. The overwhelming pursuit of it. The gaining, uh, the desiring. Uh, Proverbs 23 and verses 4 and 5. Let me read you the passage. Proverbs 23 and 4 and 5. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. <laughs> Isn't that a great verse? And I thought I had a $20 bill in here. It's gone. The pursuit of those things which cannot be kept. Ecclesiastes, another, the richest man, the most wise man upon earth beside the Lord. Ecclesiastes 5 and 10. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This also is vanity, the Bible says. You remember some stories in the Bible. You remember old Achan? He coveted it, didn't he? If I, nobody will notice. I'll just take a few of these little things. The love of money. Achan's love of money destroyed 
his life. It destroyed his family. People were killed because of this. Balaam. Oh, Balaam, you remember him? He had a love of money to... And people were after him and trying to pay him off to curse the nation of Israel. His donkey had more sense than he did. Judas, we've been talking about Judas on Sunday mornings. Love of money led him to be devil-possessed, demon-possessed, devil. The Bible says the devil entered into him. Kiss God, betrayal. Ananias and Sapphire. We know their story, their love of money led them to lie to the Holy Spirit. They were executed on the spot. God takes this thing seriously. The love of money will cause a man to forget God. It'll cause a man to forget God. It'll cause a man to trust in their own riches than God. And we see that all around us. I'll be okay. I'm good. I'm covered. It'll cause a man to be deceived. It'll cause a man to compromise his convictions. It'll cause a man to be proud. Look at me, I'm the richest man in town or whatever. It'll cause a man to steal from God. To rob God. It'll cause a man, even though he's uh, very wealthy and very rich, it'll cause a man to ignore the needs of others. When it's pursued wrongly, I think the, the pursuit of money it can be pursued after in a wrong manner. Working 100 hours a week at the expense of the family, at the expense of the church. I can't come to church because I have to work. Now, there may be times when that is true. and I'm not, I want to make sure I... But a caveat to that, there may be times when there's a requirement that I must work. I'm working a shift or I'm doing this or I'm doing that. There are times. But to never be able to attend church or never be able to come to church. Or excuse me, let me back up. To not to make the decision not to come to church. That's the better said. To make the decision not to come to church so that I can work. It's the wrong pursuit of money. The money has become the idol and rather than seeking God first, we put the, the pursuit of that first. And I think it's sought after wrongly. Gambling. This lottery that these states are promoting. The wrong pursuit of money. The pursuit of riches that will never come. I remember working with a fella in the heating business up in Virginia. And he would... Spend five dollars in the morning, go in there and scratch those tickets. And if he'd win a dollar, he'd go back there and spend ten. And he'd say, Oh, I didn't get anything on those ten. The next one's gonna hit. He'd go back and spend ten more. He'd spend his entire check in just a short and a day or two period of time, hoping he'd gain a little. But he didn't understand he lost it all. He was losing everything. Uh, overcharging, taking advantage, stealing, pyramid schemes, Ponzi schemes, investment fraud. Do you remember the name Bernie Madoff? Ponzi scheme took $65 billion. His boys, one of his boys, his daughter committed suicide because of all of that. I'm not saying there are any 
Now, I know there's not. There's no Bernie Madoffs that we know. There's none of them here tonight. But we can tend, if we're not careful, we can tend to fudge a little here. We can fudge a little there in areas in order to gain an advantage in some way on our side. On the other hand, God says there's a right way to earn money. There's a right way to earn money. The servant who buried his talent in Matthew 25. His master said unto him, you wasted it. You should have at least invested it. You should have, if you thought I was a hard master, you should have at least invested it and gained just some interest on it. But you didn't do anything with it. You wasted it. So I think wise investment is the right thing. Not a wrong thing. Saving money, learning to save more than we spend, wise planning. How about this one? Work. Work. Help wanted signs on every corner. There is no reason in today's world that somebody should not be working. Work. Second Thessalonians 3.10, if any man wouldn't, Not work, neither should he eat. We all have that habit, don't we? The habit of eating, not of working. In order to fulfill that habit, it takes work. The Bible says that. 1 Timothy 5 and 8. A man ought to provide for his own. He's worse than an infidel. When we violate God's principles for finances, we sooner or later find out that we lack those finances. Whenever we violate God's principles, we soon find out sooner or later that we lack in our finances. When we misuse or abuse what God has given to us, we begin to forfeit what God is giving to us. When we misuse what God has already given us, we begin to forfeit God's giving to us. God says, I can't trust you with it. God says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to bless somebody who I can trust. What are God's principles for having enough? Let me give you a couple. What are God's principles for having enough? Now, the word enough is the key word. Enough is the key word. The American dream says enough is never enough. Literally, we've painted the American dream to a place where enough is never enough. But what is enough? I believe enough is, God's principles for having enough, enough are the things that are the necessities of life. Enough are the things that are the necessities of life. Uh, Luke 12, Luke 12. Luke 12, verses 22 and following. Enough, the necessities. Luke 2, or excuse me, Luke 12, verse 22. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn. And God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add a 
add to his stature one cubit. If ye then being not able to do that which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they toil not, they spin not. Yet I say unto you, Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And if then God so clothed the grass, which is to Today in the field, and tomorrow is cast in the oven. How much more shall he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. But look at 30, 31. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be, here it is, shall be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be the necessities of life. God, when you put God first, God makes sure the necessities of life are fulfilled. Proverbs 37 and 25. I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. When we put God first, God ensures and God makes sure that the necessities of life, what we eat, what we put upon, the clothes, the place that we live, the house, the roof over our heads, that God cares for these things. It may not look like the American dream, but God ensures it. But then God goes a step above that. He does more than this. Not only does he provide the necessities, but then he also provides, and this is such a blessing, he also provides the niceties of life. He gives us the necessities. God knows that we need them, and he, he promises when we put him first, he'll supply them. But then he goes a step further, and he gives us the things that we don't necessarily need but he just loves to bless his kids. Don't you just enjoy doing that to your children? Your grandchildren, some of your grandmas, you spoil them rotten, quit it. You're making it hard on mom and dad. But there's something, you know, God is the same way. I believe God just joys in blessing his children. The, the niceties of life, seek ye first, what do we do with this? Malachi 3 and 10. Let me, let me just read that one since, I, since I, I've got it marked. Let me read Malachi 3 and 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there be meat in mine house. Improve me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Not only the necessities, but the niceties of life. Not room to receive you know, not only does God provide for us one set of clothing, but I got a whole closet full. You do too. Not only does he give us one pair of shoes, but I got shoes for every outfit. You do too. Not only does he give ladies some, some nice pieces of jewelry, but you got jewelry for every outfit. Now, sometimes it can get a little extreme. We go to extreme with these things. Maybe all that's not in the will of God. But I'm simply saying God gives us more than we deserve. 
He gives us more, more, more. God's that kind of God. So what are we to do? Seek first the kingdom of God. Now, what does this mean? I believe this means seeking God first. Putting God first. Putting him in the center of our life. Living life to glorify him. I believe that's seeking God first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Putting God at the center. Realize that everything that I have comes from his hand to my hand. And I think that would be a big thing if we could just get a hold of that one right there. Everything that I have comes from his hand to my hand. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Put his glory there. Number two, surrender to the will of God. Not only seek the glory of God, but surrender to the will of God. Second Corinthians, go back to our text, and we'll get into this more next week. Again, just a bit of an introduction to what we'll look at in the days to come. But surrender to the will of God. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 5. And this they did, not as we had hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. When we seek first the kingdom of God, surrender to the will of God is a natural byproduct of that. Surrender to the will of God. They first gave their own selves. Present your bodies a living sacrifice unto the Lord. In other words, live in obedience to the word of God. Live in obedience to the word of God. Let the fruit of the Spirit be fulfilled in our relationships, at home and at church, at work, at school, wherever we go. The fruit of the Spirit, let that be the thing that's fulfilled in our lives, in every relationship. So seek the glory of God, surrender to the will of God. And I think this one is is really key, it's really key. As we begin looking at these passages and we're coming up on a missions conference, begin thinking about faith promise giving. This one is key. Supply for the work of God. Supply for the work of God. God gives us and he puts it in our hands so that we can be the conduits to bless, to see people saved, to see his word go forth. Supply for the work of God. We go back and read verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, we do wit you to the wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction and abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abound into the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty. That we should receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. They wanted to enter in to the work of God. This is key. Why is it sometimes I think maybe we struggle in our finances? It's maybe due to this one. We're not supplying for the work of God. They gave. They wanted to be a part. Praying with us with much entreaty. Oh, take this. Let us be a part. It came out of much affliction and poverty. Yet they gave. They gave the tithe. They gave the tithe. Would we rob God? Would we rob God? He says in verse 7 of Malachi chapter 3, Even from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from mine ordinances and not kept in. Return unto me and I will return unto you. 
saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? This is the response. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and in offerings comes the response. Ye are cursed with a curse. For ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. So supplying of the work of God is the tithe. The tithe that begins there. The tithes and the offerings. You robbed me with tithes and offerings. And then I think it goes on and we'll look at these passages in the next few Wednesdays to come. It goes on with the supply of the work of God through faith promise. Faith promise giving. Grace giving. Grace giving. Moreover, brethren, we do wit do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. Grace giving. This supply, the supply of God's work. And understand, I believe the supply of finances. If we're putting God first, if we're surrendered to his will, the supply of all these finances, it's going to come from God. You know what that does? It takes a lot of pressure off me. Doesn't mean I don't work. Doesn't mean I just sit idly by. Doesn't mean I, that, that uh, I don't get out of bed and I don't do the things I need to do. It doesn't mean all of that. It means I'm, if, I'm, if I'm surrendered to the will of God, if I'm seeking the glory of God, I can't do any of those things. So that fixes that problem. But when I'm in that realm and I'm in that territory of living life, then God supplies not only my needs, but God supplies through me to meet the needs of the gospel, the work of God going forth. So the supply is up to God. And all he's asking us to do is be willing to trust him by faith. He does the work. He gives to me and to you so that you and I can give to his work a key in finances. We started out the message tonight. We started out an entire evening with inflation-proof finances. I believe these things, these three things, if we just simply applied these, would have inflation-proof finances and the work of God would never, ever lack. If God's people... If we as God's people would do it God's way. Now I'll admit, I'm learning. I'm learning along the way. And many of you have taught me, this is what you've taught me as I've watched you. I have no idea what people give, what people do. I I promise you I do not. But what you've taught me and that I've just seen from afar, you can't outgive God. You can't do it. You can't do it. But God says, try me. Let's try God. Let's believe God. We've got faith promise coming up. We got, we've seen God do great things through our faith promise commitments. and We've seen God abundantly bless. And let's trust God, not for the status quo, but for the abundance. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. Father, thank you for the evening. Thank you for the things you teach us. Lord, so often simple, so often clear. Lord, we complicate them so much. We allow the flesh and the world We might allow the ideas of the world to cloud our vision, our thinking. Lord, we think it's up to us. Lord, you said it's in your hands. So now, Lord, help us to buy faith. Do right. Lord, live right according to the word of God. And watch you take what we've given and put into your hands. Lord, our lives do something miraculous. Wonderful, 
And Lord, I, I just can't help but get that idea of that little boy reading that tract there in Ukraine. Somebody somewhere gave. Lord, out of your giving to them, they gave. And the gospel continues to go forth. And I pray that that would be a, a scene that's repeated time and time and time again. From regions and parts unknown to the uttermost here in Harrison and Ultawa and all around us. And Lord, may you be glorified in it. And we'll thank you for all it's done. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.